Hi there, and welcome to the Catholic Education Playbook Show, where we talk about truth, culture, and all things Catholic education. If you are interested in bringing a sense of order back to the culture by strengthening families, churches, and schools, you have come to the right place. I am so excited to be here with you today. I am one of your hosts. My name is Kimberly Begg, and I am editor of Catholic School Playbook, which is a project of the Ortner Family Foundation. And I am joined by my co-host, Sean Peterson. Sean is the president of Catholic Education Partners, which is the Catholic Voice for Education Choice. We have a fantastic show for you today. We are thrilled to be joined by Paul Lazenby. Paul is the president of Mother of Divine Grace School, which is a Catholic homeschool group that provides resources and support for 6,300 students worldwide in 28 countries. Paul, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you, Kimberly. And thank you, Sean. Yeah, welcome, Paul. Paul, as we always do, we always start with a, we start with a prayer and we end with a prayer. So I usually start with prayer and uh, I'll do that now. So let's put ourselves um, in the presence of the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to speak with Paul today about Catholic education. And we are just so grateful that our parents have this opportunity, that as parents are first educators of their children, that you have given them this incredible gift in many forms to learn about your son, to learn about his church, and to learn about themselves in many ways, and of course, the truth. So we just lift up all those forms of schooling to you. We lift up those parents, teachers, and especially those students. And we do this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul, why don't we just jump right into it? Um, homeschooling has been one of the biggest stories in education for the last few years. Could you speak a little bit to the growth that you've seen um, nationally, internationally? And we've talked a little yeah. bit about um, what Mother of Divine Grace is doing even in other countries. Um, mm -hmm. But what is causing uh, this explosion in interest in homeschooling? Yeah, that's great. And I think it, it goes right hand in hand with um, talking about the role of parents. Um, we saw a big change in COVID. Mother of Divine Grace School has been around for now 28 years, but during COVID, we grew by 40%. So this was an explosive growth for the school. And a lot of that happened because parents got a real look, an in-depth look at the curriculum that was happening in the schools. And many of them were pretty shocked to find out what was happening. Um, and so we had a lot of people coming to homeschooling for the first time. Interesting to note though, our retention rate of those families, we wondered, are they gonna go back to school when they reopen? But we've had in the 80% you know, retention rate for a lot of those families. So a lot of them are kind of, their eyes have been opened to alternative forms of education to see what, what's really possible. And then to see the change that's happened in their kids, which is really exciting. When we talk about a classical education, um, it's formative, it will change you as a result of doing it. So even just in a year, Families are starting to um, see the change in their students and behavior and their in their willingness to learn. Uh, and that's by design. So I think you can say that the parents um, have really started to um, see the value that's in their vocation and, and as parents. And that's that's exciting. And you mentioned, you know, abroad and across the world, we're in 28 different countries. The largest after America is Ireland. 
Um, and I had the great privilege of going over there this summer to visit with our families. We have about 100 enrolled families out there and many, many more that are very interested. Um, same thing, same story over there. I met several parents at different events that would come up to me and say, I, I, I got to look at the curriculum in September and I can't send my kids back to school. I, I, I just, I need to find an alternative, but in a rural, you know, if you're living in rural Ireland, your options might be very limited. So what do you do? They said, we have to figure out how to homeschool. So we were, we were there to help them, but there's kind of an awakening happening, which is really exciting. And um, in, in Ireland um, and in other countries, is it, it was very similar here, motivated by what parents were learning um, during those early months of, of COVID with all of a sudden a look into children's classrooms? Or is it, is it also, you know, somewhat an embrace of the opportunity to teach their children in a home environment and have the family learning together? You know, what kind of a dy dynamic are you seeing? I think that's, that's a good point because there is a, there's a joy in fulfilling your vocation. And so parents rediscovering that they're called as parents to be that, that primary educator of their children. There's a joy in doing God's will there as well. So, um, I think we all know that families need support right now. The Catholic family, the Christian family is under attack. So, you know, how do we support that? Um, parents teaching their children uh, is one of those things. There's a special grace that parents receive um, that only you will receive as the parent of this child. Um, and so, yeah, fulfilling that vocation in that special way is going to bring a, a joy into your life to, to do God's will, but certainly into your, your children's lives. I mean, it's, it's how to put a value on, on that. So I think we've probably all talked to families that um, have some good stories that came out of being locked down with their family, all coming back from college and everyone's in the home together again for the first time in many cases. And that's a kind of a silver lining to what was a difficult time for, for a lot of people. So. Yeah, I've actually, um, my, my joke has been recently that I'm hoping for just a very short pandemic, like, like a two week <laughs> pandemic. Um, so our family can uh, go back to being locked up and spend some real quality time right. um, together. But I'm sorry, Sean, you were about to ask a question. I, I'm sure you'll get one right before the election next year. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be one. I'm sure there's one plan for for coming up. So just kind of plan on that time period. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm being a little cynical. Um, Paul, I have a question. So I, I just returned from the, the Bishop's Conference. I, I was very blessed to be there for the whole week that they were there. And I was on on a, a panel and in a committee and 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 um, heard some other panels and discussions. And, you know, uh, homeschooling comes up a lot, uh, obviously. And a, a lot of bishops, I mean, you know, well, I would say all the bishops, um, you know, parents as first educators and and homeschooling can be a beautiful thing. I think what's sort of interesting and, and sort of the um, sort of the nexus there is, you know, we see a lot of really um, uh, what we might call traditional Catholic families homeschooling. And, and I um, what, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, why aren't they choosing Catholic schools? Why aren't they choosing their their neighborhood Catholic school? And I, mm -hmm. and 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 I'll premise it with, I am not someone who thinks all of our Catholic schools are, are perfect or as good as they could be. Um, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to really renew Catholic education and really do what we're supposed to be doing, just like in everything, our organizations, whatever, we have to look and say, you know, of course, we're not always 
firing at 100%. So we have to be honest about that. It doesn't do anyone good to say they're all perfect and they're all, you know, but uh, what is it do you think that is stopping a lot of those very orthodox, very, um, uh, very committed Catholic families to not being at the, at the traditional uh, diocesan school? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think you could say that on, on, sort of on the positive side, homeschooling provides a level of customizability you're never going to be able to have in a classroom. Um, and to kind of build on the, the idea of parents being that, that best educator, it, it is the fact that parents will know their children better than anyone else, their, their, their virtues, their vices, their strengths and weaknesses. And so there is an opportunity to tailor the education in a, in a totally bespoke kind of way for this child. Um, that you won't get in a regular school setting, but um, that's not enough of a reason maybe to say, why are they not going to, um, if there's a great school down the road, I know of a number of very good little you know, Catholic schools that are doing it right. It might be the case like in Ireland or, or other places where there's just not an option for that right now. Um, and then you're right, I went to LIR's diocesan school for a number of years and it was, it was at the time, its Catholicity was, um, it struggled. And so I think the priority for the parent is to try to, you know, really form this this person to be a saint. And your options are not great. You're 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 really looking at what's available online now. Um, and with programs like this, the, there's a lot more players in the space now too for for online education. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons that we saw so much growth is that we'd been around for 25 years at the time. And we're accredited, a WASC accredited school based out of California. And so there's a certain pedigree. Our kids get into great schools. So um, I think there's a, it's going to be different for each person. But I think if your priority is that finding something really truly Catholic and classical, it's, we don't have enough of those schools yet. But I yeah. think there's some real strides happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. Work in progress. You no, know, and I think I think there are. I think there are real strides, which is which is positive. And I know you know homeschool homeschooling generally is off the charts. I think it's up one hundred and fifty one percent or something over the last couple of years. So, and that's across all sectors. Um, you mentioned that. I just wanted to pick up on it because you just mentioned it. Um, so when you mentioned accreditation, yeah. Um, you know, I know that's a concern for a lot of folks too. And they're like, oh, if you go to you know if you if you're homeschooled or even sometimes they'll they'll charge us with Catholic schools. Oh, you're not going to get into a college or a college isn't going to recognize. Can you talk a little bit about that? About um, I, I can't remember who's who did you say you're accredited by, and then and then just talk a little bit about you know what what happens when your kids graduate. Uh, yeah. Where they like some of the places they go, and and has that been an issue with with uh, institutions of higher learning? Yeah. So we're accredited with the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, um, WASC, out here on the West Coast. Um, and it's been great. We're all very active. All of our administration is very active in WASC as well. So I'll be going on a site visit next year. Um, and we make kind of a point to be involved in that community. And for the most part, they come and they want to see what our plan is and what we're doing. And over the course of this you know, quarter century, we've built up a lot of checks to make sure that students aren't really slipping through the cracks, um, so that there is a high level of excellence, that excellence so that our our diploma, our transcript really means something to these schools. It's also the case that people say, well, you know, you're studying a classical education. Is that going to get them into an Ivy League school? I think we're seeing in America a lot of these, you know, elite universities 
um, really respecting that kind of high school and grade school education. Um, they're seeing the fruits of it. Those students come in and they know how to think. They know how to listen. They know how to analyze and discuss. And, and so I think in America, especially, we have the stigma around homeschooling is gone. The stigma around a classical education is, isn't there in my, from what I see in our graduates. We have about 400 seniors graduate every year and they go to every, every school they want to, you know, military academies, Ivy Leagues, certainly great Catholic schools like Thomas Aquinas College, my alma mater. So, um, but great schools everywhere. In Ireland, it is a different struggle. And in Europe, it's a different struggle. Their rules are different than ours. Here, you can take an SAT, have a great transcript and get into any school you want, um, or at least have the option to apply. In places like Ireland, they have a a leaving certificate that they have or leaving cert test they have to take and it very much determines where they go to school what job they get it it's it's very different and so a lot of the schools teach to that test and that's a struggle because a classical school is where does that fit into the model you're educating for the eternal soul of this person but it doesn't necessarily teach to that test and so there's you know, a great amount of effort they put themselves through to, to learn alongside the classical education, the things they need in order to pass that test. But there's challenges in different places. Um, and, you know, I could say even in some places where some countries in Europe are just very hostile towards homeschooling as a whole, they want to have complete control over that education. And really, um, if you look at what popes have said throughout the years, that isn't very Catholic, you know, uh, parents the popes have always thought have a right to educate their children and again are being given a special grace to do that that no one else is given so um you know not everyone can homeschool but in the absence of being able to you hope you can find some group that really takes that role seriously and is able to you know carry on this this mission of you know hopefully making these children saints so so, Paul, I would like to um, kind of go back to that very interesting moment in time when um, you're, uh, you, you saw an increased enrollment of 40% um, because of, of the COVID pandemic. When the families were moving over, um, where were they coming from? Um, what kind of education were they coming from? And was the adjustment difficult for them? Yeah, we had a lot of public school families. And I think that you know, obviously there's no, there's no God in our public school system right now in, in America, although there used to be there's a Supreme, Supreme Court decision back in, I think it was, it was it's Engel versus Vitale, and I don't remember when it was, but they, they voted to remove God from our public schools um, through a prayer, which used to be common, you know, and that's kind of a turning point where well, <laughs> something that used to be part of our tradition in America is no longer, but I think parents, when they got the curriculum that their kids were supposed to do and they're on Zoom classes and they're there because the parents were home too, um, a lot of them really were disappointed. And so that was a huge part of our, our growth. And then a lot of families, I think, that were on the fence with homeschooling, you know, thinking that it might be what they're called to do, decided that this was, um, this was the opportunity. We also provide a lot of support because without it, it, it is challenging. There's no question. One of the things I think we do that's unique is we pair each family with a consultant. In addition to our program and, and the curriculum, every family gets paired with a consultant. And it, it is in every case, it's a, it's a mom who has done the program with her children before or is currently doing it. And they are there to help 
answer questions, help you figure out how to implement it in your home. In addition to the program, they're also there to give you advice on family. It's someone to talk to on how to manage the complexities of kids over different ages, all in a now kind of one room schoolhouse type setup. And that's an invaluable relationship. They're, they're wonderful. Um, that, that resource that they provide. So there's, there's a lot of um, support that goes along with, with our, our program. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I think one of the benefits of being at a, a brick and mortar school with a community of families and educators to support you is that children end up having mentors um, in their teachers who are not their parents. Um, is there a way that Mother of Divine Grace gives students the opportunity to interact with your faculty members? Yes. Yeah, so there's different levels of customizability. You can have just the primary parent being the teacher um, but especially in the in the later grades really starting in fifth grade there's options for online classes um, on a weekly or bi-weekly or a monthly basis one-on-one -on -one or in a group um, and you know people say how can you form friendships online it's we see it happen all the time these kids form friendships sometimes they end up at college together but in this virtual age they're still able to bond over their I think a lot of it is the subject matter they're studying. They're studying the greatest things that are all oriented towards towards the study of God, and they they bond over that. Um, and I, you you talk about mentors, and that's a real point. Um, in in the family structure, what you end up with a lot of times when you have these Catholic families, different age ranges within it, the older siblings a lot of times become very strong mentors of the younger siblings. So it's one of the joys of homeschooling that you have these cross age ranges all mixing together. Um, and it, it does tend to be the case even with so socialization when another Catholic homeschooling family gets together with another Catholic homeschooling family. You've got kids of all ages and ranges and you know the older ones do tend to act as mentors and supports for the younger ones. Um, it's kind of a beautiful thing to see it all kind of melded together. So, you know, I, I do think that is neat. Um, the very first school that, uh, very first, uh, K through eight school that we were in, my sons are 17 months apart. And so they're back to back in school. And I remember when, I think it was when they were in first and second grade, they were very good friends and they had recess at the same time, but there was this line on the blacktop that you weren't allowed to cross because the first graders were supposed to be on one side of the line and the second graders mm -hmm. were supposed to be on the other side of the line. So my sons used to run up to the line um, and then spend all of recess, recess, you know, hanging out with each other and talking to each other and playing with each other. And I remember just thinking there's something unnatural about this. Right. Um, so, yeah, to have the opportunity to, you know, grow up with your siblings, to, to learn side by side with your siblings, you know, probably to take over some of the teaching. Um, mm -hmm. I know that happens in our house too, um, with our older kids, you know, some are more enthusiastic than others. Some want to completely, um, you know, take their uh, younger sibling under their wing and act like another parent. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's a challenge for me. Um, I have some children who really like to parent um, my, <laughs> my younger children. Um, but that's such a neat thing to give them those leadership opportunities and also for the, the younger siblings to feel really cared for, mm -hmm. um, to feel loved by their, their older brothers and sisters. So, um, you know, that's a really a, a neat benefit to homeschooling that I think there are a lot of families who have never even come close to experiencing that yeah. um, because all they've known are these very rigid, um, you know, grade separations in mm -hmm. most, uh, most government schools. I think that's right. 
Uh, yeah, the Vitale case was 1962. I'm a I'm a bit okay. of a Supreme Court uh, um, education choice nerd. So yeah, <laughs> um, but it's interesting though because it was 1962. If you look at it was a really a bad decade all around for changes in education. If you look at it, um, we have you know we've got that in 1962. We've got um, I would say there were many changes that were made during Vatican II in 1965. Um, then we've got the loss of, I think, 45,000 religious sisters in about 1970. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the religious sisters were the backbone of our schools and they brought that charism and they brought that, that mm -hmm. you know, that deep understanding of the trivium and the quadrivium. And I mean, so yeah, a lot of I don't know, the 60s were not a good decade for the United States or the church, I would say, uh, generally. But, um, well, I'm curious, do you see a lot of or are you seeing it yet or is it is it still a little bit too new? Are you seeing a lot of intergenerational uh, homeschooling like like I was home? Like, are you seeing a lot of homeschool parents that were homeschooled themselves? I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, that we definitely do. I, I'd love to get that stat for you, but they're at this point being. You know, almost 30 years old as our school, I can say we're seeing second generation students and, you know, um, mm. our school goes all the way down from preschool up through 12th grade. So it's, it's certainly it's changed a lot as we've kind of talked about when I did homeschooling for a number of years in the, in the late nineties, it was, it was different. It wasn't as common or popular in America and, um, it's changed. It's just certainly changed. Now you're, you probably tell people, yeah, I homeschool my children and people go, Oh, that's great. You know, my niece homeschools or something. And it's, it's, you know, I'm hoping that is the, that becomes the case for a lot of our other countries. America is kind of leading the way on homeschooling right now. Um, yeah. And I do hope that we see, I think Ireland has a great chance. If you looked at each state as, um, or each country almost as a state, Ireland would be our fifth largest state in terms of how many families we have there, even though obviously it's a country, but it's growing. It's, it's, you know. Was it about four of, uh, I don't know, was it four or five years ago that Germany actually outlawed? That's right. Homeschooling. Yeah. I remember that was, I remember that was just a big thing. And I just remember that was really, it was just really shocking actually right. when I saw that it almost looked like a Babylon B article. Mm -hmm. um, I know. Right. And that you would, you know, I mean, just it was so shocking to have a state come in and really say that parents are not capable, able or allowed to educate their children. It's it's really it's anti-Catholic at its core. And if you look at what, like I said earlier, what the popes have said about it, I'm looking at a quote right now from what's well, uh, canon law. The parents are those who take their place. Parents and those who take their place are bound by the obligation and possess the right of educating their offspring. Catholic parents also have the duty and right of choosing those means and institutions through which they can provide more suitably for the Catholic education of their children. So that's um, 793. But it, the church has always understood that parents are going to be given that grace to make those decisions for their family and for their children. And even if you have a wonderful, wonderful school that you're able to send your kids to, parents still have that obligation to, to, to live the faith and teach their faith and and be involved in the in the education. You know, um, we talk a lot here about sitting around the dinner table and making conversation about school, about what they're studying. And certainly, I would say for parents that aren't able to um, homeschool and they don't have a school that's you know really 
understands its identity as a Catholic and classical school, they should look closely at what is being studied. Um, take a look at the curriculum, make sure that you approve of what that is and that it fits with our, our tradition as Catholics, because you might be surprised. <laughs> Um, something I've been reflecting on a lot um, is the, the promises that parents make uh, when they baptize their children. Mm -hmm. They promise to raise their children Catholic. Um, and that certainly means more than just bringing their kids to Mass and um, throwing a big party for their first Holy Communion and throwing another party for their confirmation. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of peer group um, the adult members, the adult mentors um, that children spend time with, and then of course that the curriculum, you know, what they're learning every single day and, and, and the culture of a community um, is a huge part of the formation of our children. So, you know, choosing an education that is authentically Catholic um, is something that I think as a church, we've gotten away from, although I think we're doing a, a lot better in recent years, but at least when, when I was growing up, um, it was just assumed that, you know, I, I think any education would be fine as long as it's supplemented with a CCD program. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm Gen X. I was born in 1976. Um, we, we, I went to a government school. Um, we never talked about God, obviously, in school. Um, and to be honest, we barely talked about God in CCD. So, you know, after mass once a week, I was dropped off um, for about an hour. And um, I'm not, we did a lot of discussing in a circle um, and a lot of chit chatting here and there. But the formation that I received, you know, was very poor and my, my, my peers received. Um, but I, I don't know that our parents really really understood it, you know, really understood the duty um, and really understood that it was on them to think critically about it. That um, I think the church was telling them at the time, you know, CCD is fine. It's a fine option. You know, the government schools are a fine option. We are going to supplement mm -hmm. um, what they're getting at mass once a week um, with the CCD program. But I do think it's really exciting um, now to see parents, you know, looking at their options a lot more critically and not only just looking at um, you know, what the government schools are teaching, but what the Catholic schools are teaching. You know, um, Paul, you mentioned, you know, what if a family doesn't have a a, a faithful Catholic school nearby? Um, and what if they are not able to homeschool? You know, can you speak a little bit to, you know, maybe some of the, the more creative ways that families have been able to overcome some of these obstacles? Yeah. So you're, you're thinking in a case where they're they're not able to homeschool and they don't have a school yeah, I think that would be a case where the the parents then really need to um, make a point to, to to make their home like the domestic church it's supposed to be, and and make make it bring it into the dinner table and proudly practice their faith by going to mass as often as they can, praying with the family, modeling the virtues that we're supposed to model. But I think it, I've at least heard from people in the past that. They had an understanding that, well, parents aren't supposed to do that, and the church is supposed to teach the children the faith. Mm -hmm. I've heard that from sort of an older generation, that that was what was their, their parents thought. I think that we've just got to, you know, definitely move past that. It's parents in this world are the, <laughs> the ones who have that grace. And obviously the church does too, but parents have a huge opportunity in seeing those children to, to form them. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, one thing I want to add, um, over the weekend, I was at the Maryland Catholic Women's Conference and had the opportunity to speak to a lot of, you know, Catholic women, you know, about this topic. And we are seeing a lot of families moving um, to be closer to ca uh, faithful Catholic schools. And we're also seeing a lot of, you know, husbands and wives, um, mm -hmm. a lot of parents, you know, think about their 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 work situation creatively. Um, in yeah. 2023, not only do we have, you know, distant learning, we have remote work. Um, and I think that that has opened up a lot of opportunities for families. And, you know, I have to think that some of the increase that you've seen in enrollment um, has to do with the flexible work schedules um, that some families have been able to negotiate for themselves. I think that's right. That's definitely right. And parents kind of dividing up different roles. I mean, who maybe maybe mom teaches this, dad teaches this. Um, I see a lot more dads being more and more involved in in homeschooling of their children, and I think that's that's really encouraging. Um, the whole, it is kind of a family a family effort. It should be. Um, yeah. So. Paul, if you guys start, um, I'm always interested about this. I was just reading an article on. Um, uh, uh, Kara did a report a couple of years ago on um, kids that go to religious schools, especially Catholic schools, and if they retain their faith versus public schools. And it's it's there, there's a little bit of an uptick. It's not as much as we'd like like to see. Right. Do you do any kind of tracking on that? Like how many um, you know kids once they leave um, you know your school do, do they retain their faith? Um, do you track vocations? And I, mm -hmm. I'm just always fascinated mm -hmm. by that because I, I think for me, um, with with other things of renewal that's going on in the church, um, there's going to be a point at which we're going to want to show the bishops and show others. You know, the, the you'll know them by their fruits. Like mm -hmm. these things are bearing fruit. So I'm I'm just curious if you, I mean, you've you've been around a long time now. You know, you track confirmations. Do you track? Um, yeah, it's Catholic faith retention. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, some of that data is hard to collect a little bit, but we do. We're super proud of our vocations to marriage and the priesthood. We we try to loop back in our alumni priests um, to say masses for us. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it goes back to this education is is it's it's formative. It will change you if you do it. Even if you do it without an open mind, you, you once you see truth, it's very hard to to pretend it doesn't exist. And so that this rel relativism that we have around us right now is is so poisonous to young people. But if you can show them the truth and that it is true, and really can't be thought otherwise, and so much of our faith is reasonable, so it, it makes sense. It, it, um, you see these lives being lived the way that they're meant to be lived. Um, regardless of what college they go to, I think there's a way to continue our education in certain schools very directly. Many of them do go to schools. We send a lot of students to Thomas Aquinas College, to Benedictine, University of Dallas, Ave Maria, Christendom, good, these good Catholic schools. And But many of them go on to secular schools. Um, but the anecdotal evidence that I could tell you right now is that, yes, they're they're very alive in their faith. And that is a direct consequence of this of this classical education. It will change you if you go through it. Um, so, do you, do you um, do you intentionally do you do you build really strong relationships with certain Catholic universities and colleges? Do you have would you, do you have a greater number of your graduates that might go to them, or is it is it more spread out? 
what are you seeing in that area? Yeah. We, we do tend to, because our curriculum is built on, you know, the, the trivium and the quadrivium, building up to a study, everything oriented, obviously, towards a study of sacred theology. There are some schools that just continue that into college, as, as it's, Thomas Aquinas College comes to mind. It's it's a four-year integrated program, which is, um, you know, all, all oriented towards the study of sacred theology. It is interesting to see schools that are classical without being Catholic. That's really intriguing because um, in my mind, they're inseparable. And so, but it, it does seem like if you're going to go to one of those schools, like a, like a St. John's College, where you've got this rich tradition of the, of the, of the classics, you're going to want to get that, the real answer from somewhere because you're missing the best part of the equation. Um, all of this study, all of this learning how to listen and think is to better understand ourselves as humans, which is to say to better understand ourselves as children of God. So um, I, I like seeing classical wherever I find it, but I do think it, it you want to, you want to finish the race. You want to, you want to conclude the argument as best you can. Um, it, it's going somewhere. It all points in a direction. So, but we do tend to send a lot of kids to good, you know, these, these good Orthodox Catholic schools. Um, so I've always wondered about um, about that. You know, we talk about the transcendentals and um, uh, uh, classical education, truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm -hmm. um, it's an enduring question that I've had um, about non-Catholic classical schools. Um, how do we teach truth um, when it is against the law um, for, you know, charter schools that um, are government schools that are, are fully funded by the government um, when they are not allowed to teach the truth. So yeah. it's just one of those questions that I've, 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 I've had. Um, have, have you experienced uh, kids coming from um, secular classical schools to go into Mother of Divine Grace? And um, do you have any experience with what kind of a, a transition um, that, that they've that they've made? Yeah, one of the, it's one of the reasons I love I love Euclid in uh, geometry. Okay, because it's when you study an argument and you start with that first premise and you're talking to someone and they say, "I see that," and then you go to the next premise, "I see that too." Well, if, if this is if this leads to this, then this follows, and they said, "I see that," and I see that it can't be otherwise. Um, you don't immediately think of Euclid in geometry as theological, and yet you just proved that truth exists, and it's right there, and. I think there's ways in which we do that throughout our program and even in the study of natural science, the study of nature, the study of chemistry, learning how to write, learning math. Again, it's, it comes back. It's, it's, it's so important to form their minds that truth does exist and you see it in, at least in this one case, and that's a building block. So, so um, you're not teaching there's my truth and then there's your truth. No. Um, Grace, no. <laughs> oh no, that would that's yes, obviously that's what a, what a disservice to people, and we see the fruits of that now, don't we? Um, just the confusion and the uh, and the heartache that that's going to cause that will not bear good fruit. Those ideologies are only going to lead to 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 sadness. It's not living in accordance with how we're designed. We're called to be saints. Um, we're not we're not called to a life of um, you know narcissistic self-indulgence it's it's we're, we're meant to focus outward on other people so i think again i think it's in there it's in the it's built into the trivium and the quadrivium it's built into a classical education at its core um, and if you follow it with an open mind you will end up 
wanting to ask those final questions that point you to something higher. You, you study natural theology um, and eventually sacred theology. The ancients didn't know a study of the sacred theology was possible, but we do. We know that now as Catholics, it was revealed and, and we have this rich tradition of the church um, and so much that's written, even just in, in refreshing myself on the, the different things the popes have said over the years on, on the role of parents. There's such a wealth of information that's all there. So um, we just need to, we need to get the message out there, but I'm, I'm like you, Kimberly, I'm an optimist. I think there's, I think we're, we're very much um, keeping the culture alive so that when people realize that what they've been given since children, since, you know, since children is, is not, this isn't good. It doesn't, it doesn't lead anywhere and it's unfulfilling. We're there with the answer to say, yes, but we've got it over here. So um, really, and I think getting that message to children as young as you can, starting them out on a good track is essential because whether they go to a super Catholic college or not, they're going to have that formation, um, be little, you know, evangelizers wherever they go. So could, could you speak a little bit, um, about, uh, forming the parents, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, especially post COVID, I, I assume that some parents who jumped uh, into this role and, and started really embracing, um, their role as a primary educator, um, maybe didn't have mm -hmm. the confidence, um, maybe didn't have the skills, uh, what, what kind of, you mentioned that you, there is a, a support system. So more experienced, um, parents who are, are, are teachers, um, have been able to provide, uh, some guidance um, in that way. Um, but, but it has to go beyond just, you know, um, talking through how to teach a certain lesson. Um, you know, foundationally, um, you know, I think sometimes parents need, um, a, a little bit more education in how to be an educator. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, in what ways does mother of divine grace help parents with their own formation? Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up because it is one of the great joys when we hear from a family that a spouse converted, or they learn their faith for the first time. So kind of a reversion to the faith because of teaching their kids. Um, and those stories are, are not uncommon for us to hear that, that in the course of having to teach the program, they're, they're learning alongside their kids. And so our syllabi are, are structured that way to really teach as you go and, and know where to go for resources. Um, and so if you know the parent is an active part of our program, it doesn't work without an engaged parent. Um, and so as they learn, they, they, um, they learn alongside their kids, which is really wonderful. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Uh, um, Paul, I, I know I've been asking you a lot of demographic questions, but I'm, that's kind of my, my, my business. <laughs> I'm, you know, when I think about school choice and I think about opportunities, um, do you have, would, um, is, are your students pretty spread out evenly among states? Would you say there's states that, because I'm kind of wondering, like, okay, would it yeah. be natural like, to have a, you have a lot of people from red states that already embraced this, or you've got people from blue states, maybe that are trying to flee. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious if if you have, you know, if there's any couple of states yeah. that really stick out that you have a lot of students from, or? It's it's pretty well spread out in, in, in America. Um, California is our most densely populated, but we have a lot in the Midwest, Texas, East Coast, Florida. Um, it's very well spread out among the population centers of our country. So very well represented in, in America In Ireland, like I said, it's, it's, it's also spread out. Um, and then in the UK as well, um, 
also kind of spread out, but they're, they're, we're found in big cities and in the countries, everywhere in between. So, and have your parents? Um, you just mentioned Florida, so it made me think about it. Are your are your parents in those states with school choice programs? Are they able to take we're advantage in, of those? Yeah, we're in the process right now of of navigating that. Um, okay, some of it is has to do with our model and how we how we how we charge families. We have a per family model, so you don't pay any extra if you have ten kids or if you have two kids. It's it's you know, it's, it's meant to sort of, you know, cater to what we have is a lot of large Catholic families. Um, but because of that, it isn't necessarily geared towards um, individual students' tuition. So we're navigating that with different states and sorting it out. But it is great to see that the dollars are finally going to follow the students. You've been paying these taxes. And as we can see, everything I'm looking at with the, what the popes have been saying, you know, it, parents have that right. They should have that right. They know their children and their family. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't believe the state should be telling them what to do in this respect. So I'm very excited to see that. I hope more states come online. And thank you for your work. You said you were down in, is it Alabama? Yeah, I think I think a lot of southern states are going to go. So just I, I'll be curious to see, like, as, you know, states can do that and as parents can have, um, as, as the dollars follow parents, I would also yeah. think not just for programs like yours, but that also offers homeschool families other dollars to um you know for materials and for if they want some outside tutoring i mean i know for for my i would not be able to homeschool my kids <laughs> i can just tell you that especially in math and science i i do well in history and other things like that but um but for i would think for some of those families maybe that don't feel comfortable with some of those subjects um the choice programs that were getting passed could be very helpful like you could you could hire a tutor mm -hmm. or maybe a homeschool three or four families like you said that are friends maybe could hire someone to actually supplement um what the parents yeah. are giving them so i, I think Perfect. it's just beautiful opportunities and again because it follows a child it's the, it's mm -hmm. the lowest level of sub subsidiarity it's right at the level of the family and that's really what the goal is that's that's what i think a lot of opponents of school choice don't understand like this is about getting putting this back in the family's hands, just like what you're doing. And so, you know, and also I, I also remind people that homeschooling predates the common school in the United States. We used to home homeschooling was like right. the norm. It wasn't like the the weird thing to do. And then religious education, right. religious schools actually started educating children for free long before the common school, long before yeah. the public school. So uh, you know, I remind people of that about, about, about homeschooling. That, yeah. like, this is what we used to do all the time on the farm. Right. It really was a, a almost a, a product of the Industrial Revolution when you've got parents that are all off working and kids have to be raised somehow. Um, and that's been done better and worse, depending on the place that does it. But I will tell you, when I was in elementary school, it didn't strike me as odd until we started homeschooling. But I... Uh, I was assigned a number in kindergarten. I was number 32. And it went on my papers. It went on my backpack. It went on my lunchbox. We lined up according to number. Spelling bees were evens on this side, odds on this side. And so I have a strong affinity for the number 32. But it didn't strike me as dehumanizing until really we started homeschooling. And I couldn't imagine giving my daughter uh, you know, a number and referring to her as that number. <laughs> so not every school's was uh, unfortunate in a way to have to manage a very large class size. If I was number 32, it tells you how many kids were in the class. Um, 
and so that's it's just there have been various models of education in this country for the last hundred years not all of them have been good so well and i think the beauty with homeschooling is that really common schooling and public schooling were kind of dehumanizing because it was really based on the prussian factory model that was important mm -hmm. here and it was if you look at the early funders of public education and who built schools it was the Rockefellers, the Henry Fords. It was all the guys that had factories and assembly lines because they wanted to give people just a little more education so they could run the assembly line better. It was not to point them to a higher end. It was not to point them toward uh, something better and to, to really open their mind and, and mission accomplished. I know. Mission accomplished. So thank right. you for what you're doing. It's amazing work, and guys, um, you're doing really. Yeah. I think we're we're Thanks. on the same team with with keeping alive these traditions, and like I keep coming back to, they are formative. It will change you if you go through this yeah. with an open mind. These these this this way of educating your children, it will change your children. It'll change you too. So. I love yeah. that. I, I I have one last question. I know Sean, if you have other questions as well, but. Um, Paul, you mentioned the greater involvement of fathers um, in homeschool education. Um, Sean, you said that math and science would not be your strengths, um, that you would be uh, probably able to teach your children um, history. Uh, so uh, with your children, Paul, um, where mm -hmm. do you jump in? Um, you know, how do you split uh, the responsibilities with your wife? Yeah. So for my son right now, it's, it's, you know, we're teaching him how to read. And again, it, he's seven, um, really trying to work on some of that early mastery. And again, the benefit is that we're able to find a program that really works for him, something that he's responding to, but it's just sitting there and listening as he does his lesson. Um, and I will say this too. I mean, homeschooling isn't easy. It is challenging. Kids have, you know, good days and they have bad days, but, um, you know, dads being there to support if they're the ones that aren't there. Most of our families, it is it is the mom that is at home with the kids, although we have some that's the other way. But whatever parent isn't there um, to be supportive, to be ready to take a phone call and pep talk one of the kids when they're just not not really engaged today. Um, I do that. And uh, my wife will just call me throughout the day if she needs to chat about something or um, just to kind of jump in. And that, that's my son. With my daughter, it's She's, she's in fifth grade now, so we're able to just, I do a lot of reading kids, work our way through Narnia, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, you know, all the good fantasy that's out there. Um, and I think that's a great opportunity for you to just be there, but just to being supportive and to let the kids know that it's important. And then living the faith. I think, you know, um, I think we have something of a crisis of masculinity in our country, men not understanding their role not understanding the the joy that can come with being a husband and a father and i think we want to encourage that but we can we can model that for our sons just by being being active and engaged but i'm looking forward to it actually as my kids go through math in particular i am looking forward to going through algebra again because i didn't enjoy it on my first round through but i i kind of want to do it again so i might i'm, I'm going to try to help on some of those upper levels and relearn it um, so treating it as something of a game in that respect and, and, and going through it. Well, and, we know, and we know how important, um, 
fathers are in passing on the faith, especially. Um, so, um, you know, Sean, for your, uh, the, the figures that you love so much, you know, it would be neat in a few years to be able to look at, um, the, the children who are in a home with a mother and a father with, who are both engaged, um, in the education of their children to see how much, um, better able they are to retain the faith, um, mm -hmm. in their children's <clears throat> lives because of, uh, that increased involvement. Well, and actually, we know, again, from studies and from like Kara and others that have done studies, actually, the father has a bigger impact on whether a child stays in the faith, which which seems odd, because uh, I always remember, you know, especially like when my grandmother, when I'd go stay with her, we'd go to daily mass together, you know, grandpa would be working and, but it is the father that actually has the largest impact, whether they stay in the faith. And so I think with homeschooling there, it presents that opportunity, because, um, you know, you do kind of tag team a little bit. So I, I just think that's, you know, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's part of the renewal. There's a lot of good stuff going on in re renewal of Catholic education. This is definitely one of those pieces. And Paul is grateful you were with us today. Where, where can people find out more about what you do and find resources? And you have, I imagine you have a website. Uh, right. I know you have a website because I went to it, but why don't you tell just so people can find you and, and sure. um, learn what you're doing? Yeah. Mother of Divine Grace, just, just, Google us, we'll, we'll come up as a Catholic homeschool. Um, a lot of great resources there. Our founder, uh, Laura Berquist, who started this for her children, you know, years ago now, um, she's still very active in the school. She's our president and our CEO. No, I'm the president. She's our CEO and our chairman. Um, but she has some great resources online, videos on classical education and the various kind of stages of formation that our children are at at different ages. Um, and what they need at those different stages. So that can be a great resource for parents just looking to meet their kids at where they're at because it's constantly changing, right? Your, our children grow up and they change and what they need changes as well. So a lot of great resources, all free there um, to learn more about us. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And as we do, Kimberly, would you like to close us in prayer? Always with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Lord. Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. amen. God bless you, Paul. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, God bless Paul. You. Take care. Take care, really.